This is Authors in Focus. Hi, I'm James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMD Reed. The first volume of my epic 12-book fantasy series, Shadow of the Dragon, is available for sale. Check out Foundation of Courage and join Voni and Yuna on their awesome adventure. Today, I'm joined by Dave Dobson. He's the author of Flames of Frostborn, Inquisitor's Guild Book One. How are you doing today, Dave? Pretty good, thanks. Happy to be here with you. Awesome. I'd like to start these uh, interviews out with a fun question. So, Dave, are you a night person or a mage person? Oh, I thought you were going to say night or day person. And the answer to that is nighttime. (laughs) As I said it out loud, I realized that there was going to be confusion. Yeah. No, I I do a lot of my writing after midnight. But uh, night or mage, that's interesting. Uh, I think uh, night by attitude, mage by wimpiness, if that would be uh, (laughs) an acceptable way to break it down. All right. So how long have you wanted to be an author, Dave? I have wanted to kind of my whole life, although it wasn't something I pursued as a career until recently. I did publish a children's book back in 1996 or so, and I've been writing things that I never finished or sent anywhere, you know, for most of my adult life. But I finally got the guts up to finish a book and publish one a couple of years ago, 2019. Who published it out of curiosity? Uh, Charles Bridge. They're a company located up in Boston. And okay. I do a whole bunch of education publishing and children's publishing. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, let's talk about your novel, Flames Over Frosthelm, which um, I think this might be a first for my interviews. I've actually read this book. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah, I read it last year. So it's it's been nine, ten months since I have read it. But right. as yeah. I recalled, it was really great. Oh, good. Anyways, it's sort of a hilarious and yet suspenseful story about two inquisitors in a sort of fantasy world who stumble onto a big conspiracy that reaches to the sort of highest echelons of power in Frosthelm. And they kind of um, have to untangle it and survive to tell the tale. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> they do a lot more tangling of it than untangling at the beginning, but they eventually figure out what's going on and uh, get in a lot of trouble. A- yeah. There's more than one accidental explosion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Tell us about the two main characters and sort of who the Inquisitors are and sort of like what gets them on this uh, this crazy adventure they have. Sure. Yeah. So um, I wanted to write something that was sort of a detective story, but in a fantasy setting. And I've always liked kind of buddy cop sort of stories where you have a team of investigators working together. And so I imagined this group called the Inquisitors Guild that was a branch of government in Frosthelm. There's also a, a sort of a campaign military that they use to attack or defend against neighbors. There's the city guard. It's a city state, so it's not as big as you know you might imagine a huge country to be. And then there's the justiciary who does the judging and punishing and stuff. But then there's this smaller group that's the Inquisitors Guild. And so they investigate crimes in the main city, but they also sign on with the regular military as scouts and commandos and assassins and that kind of thing. So that was what I imagined for them. Uh, the two main characters, I thought it would be fun to start with them being relative newbies. Uh, so they're just out of the training that goes on to become an Inquisitor. There's a, a school at the Guild where children start around 13 and then spend five years learning the craft and gradually starting to accompany the senior inspectors uh, on missions and stuff. Well, tell us a little bit about the two of them. 
Yeah, they. <laughs> well, I um, I wanted them to be a little bit of an odd couple. So Martin, who's the first person narrator, you see everything through his eyes and, and through his thinking. He's kind of a, a nerd, but a very earnest one. Um, he's into the little bit of magic that they're able to learn in the school. Uh, he is uh, book smart. He knows a lot about history and languages and, and that kind of thing. He loves going to the library. Um, he's kind of scrawny and he's fairly, uh, well, he's not very confident in himself at the start. Um, and the story before the book opens, he's uh, found a true friend in Boog, who's his partner, um, who uh, was kind of the opposite. He was strong and uh, good with weapons and tough and very confident. Um, and they got together during the Inquisitor's Guild school when Boog was helping Martin with uh, weapons and Martin was helping Boog get through the uh, tests and exams. And so they're both smart and inquisitive and brave and heroic and all of that, but they come at it from these different angles. And so part of the what I hope is the fun of the story is that uh, there's a lot of back and forth between them with that kind of thing. That's a pretty good description of the pair of them. So uh, why don't you tell us a bit about their... Uh sort of what the this book in particular is about sure yeah so they start um it starts uh when they're on kind of a stakeout in a tavern and they're waiting for a, a suspect to show up and they know that this suspect is a jewel thief because the inquisitors guild has an ancient artifact uh, within their headquarters that actually predates the culture that lives in this city now it's from uh from a vanished race from long ago and that's a big pool that you can use to tease out connections between objects. So the pool has seven runes around the edge. Uh, you can put objects around the rune, uh, around on those runes, and then you can use the pool to try to uh, to figure out any connections between those objects. So this is one of the investigative tools that they use, and it's kind of a cool magic object and a, a ritual that goes along with it. Uh, and they have this sort of <laughs> eccentric old woman, the auger, who is who runs it. And so they have learned in the pool that the thief that they're tracking down is this guy, Stennis. And so they're waiting in the bar for him to show up. And he shows up and has a ton of money. So they're worried that he's he's sold the gems and, and that they might not be able to recover them. But then this mysterious sorceress comes in behind him and is not too impressed with him. Uh, and they start having words. And so at that point, uh, Martin and Boog intervene. They come up and declare themselves and say that these people are under arrest, at which point both of them pay them no attention at all. Uh, the sorceress enchants this amulet that the uh, thief was holding, which they think is part of the stolen materials. And Stennis, who's kind of this uh, fop or dandy, starts fighting back against them. And so the sorceress teleports out of the bar, which is really unheard of. There's not a lot of magic in Frostown. And the thief starts fighting back at them. Uh, they managed to beat him. Martin is carrying around a warding rod, which is uh, uh, another old artifact they have in the guild that can stun people. He manages to partially stun this guy, Stennis. But then he gets away and he runs back to the back of the bar and they hear this thunderous explosion. And they go in and they realize that the amulet that the sorceress enchanted has uh, completely detonated Stennis. And so that's the beginning of the big trouble that they run into. And so they take the amulet back to headquarters and uh, start trying to figure out what it is and who the sorceress was. And that's when they get in trouble with a noble uh, because they track the sorceress to a house. And she's dead and they're trying to figure out how she died. And so it's uh, it kind of gets all twisty there. 
Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, they end up uh, uncovering the mystery that's surrounding this amulet and the, the sorceress and the sneering noble dude that they run into. So that's that's how it starts, at least. Okay. So what do you think the challenges are of writing sort of a buddy cop story in a fantasy setting? Um, so you're kind of marrying two genres together and there are, you know, uh, sort of tropes to avoid with both of them. And uh, so, you know, you want to do something that's that's fresh. Um, writing in a society that has magic is a little challenging because that's going to both assist and throw off the investigation, depending on how you use it. So that's that's a that's a, a tricky thing to juggle with all the fantasy is is how strong is the magic? How does it work? What are the limitations? Because you don't want to just rely on it whenever you write yourself into a bind. Um, and so I set up pretty strong rules for most of how things go in Frost Elm, and then they start finding some people who are able to bend those rules a little bit. So that's one challenge. And then with the investigation part, you want to have the investigation proceed in a way that makes sense. You know, you want to understand how your cops there are thinking, what they're trying to do, uh, what information they have. And, and, you know, it's always frustrating in a mystery when people make a huge unjustified jump to a conclusion that turns out to be right. So you have to, at least for me, I like it to be a little more methodical. And so that part of the mystery writing is a little tricky, too. So, yeah, that kind of thing. And then, of course, you're doing all the world building that comes with fantasy, uh, which is on top of, you know, writing a good story, both on the fantasy end and the mystery end. So I guess that's that's the hard part, at least uh, as far as what I ran into. So with your mysteries, do you like start at the end and work your way backwards or or how do you plot those out? (laughs) Uh, I don't. I am so much a, a, a seat of the pants of pantser. Um, I start writing and I have stuff happen. Um, and so I sort of discover the clues as my characters do. Um, and the risk with that is that the thing is totally unstructured and doesn't make any sense. But uh, about halfway through, I get a good sense of where these books are going. I've done I've done four of these Inquisitor's Guild books now. And so about halfway through, you have to start you know, pointing it a direction and having the story resolve in a nice way. And then when you're editing, you can go back and make sure everything makes sense and take out the parts that don't don't work out there. But I'm really not a not a plotter. I don't know. Um, I had a sort of a five word idea of how the book would kind of resolve, at least the um, the prophecy that shows up at the beginning. But I didn't know any of the details. I didn't have uh, a fate worked out for the characters. I didn't know the details of the cult that was working. I kind of wrote that into being as I went. And I know a lot of other people, uh, you know, have <laughs> three ring binders and massive Excel sheets and all that kind of thing. But uh, but I didn't do that with this. And I generally don't with my other books. And I think that helps. I mean, it's a chaotic way to do it, but it helps a little bit in terms of the mystery part, because you don't ever assume that they have information that you don't have because, you know, you're you're kind of seeing it through their eyes as they know true it's easy yeah. to write a mystery when not even you know what's going on yeah. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of polishing after you've gotten it done to make it more satisfying and, and work together but uh, but at least th- that method works for me cool so um where did the idea come from to do this sort of story um so you know i've read fantasy forever from when i was a little kid uh i started with the fairy tales and the Oz books and that kind of thing. So I have always loved doing fantasy. I wanted to do something, you know, a little more fresh than just a giant war against monsters or that kind of thing. And so I thought it might be fun to develop this uh, culture of this city state. It's got a democratic government, which is, of course, a little bit unusual. 
in medieval type settings, although, you know, Venice had a, an elected doge and that kind of thing. It's a little bit like that. And so I had this idea for a, a city. Um, I like having people run around in a city and being able to develop locations and, you know, just the culture of that kind of thing. Uh, and then I really like the idea of this kind of Inquisitor's Guild that was the, you know, very earnest people trying to do good in the world, but also not very powerful and subject to the whims of the nobles and the upper classes and that kind of thing. So they're trying to do something that I feel like is is right and just and heroic, but are stymied not only by the criminals, but also by some of the people in charge of the city. Um, so that's a that's a theme in kind of all of the books. Cool. So you have uh, four of them written. Do you have any plans for more in this sort of series? Um, well, I, I just mailed the fourth one off to my editor <laughs> last night. So uh, that one uh, should come out in a couple of weeks. But uh, I haven't thought of the next one. The way I'm doing them is I actually am not following the same characters through each one. Um, they're all set with the main characters being guild members. But like the first one was Martin and Boog. Uh, with Martin's voice being the dominant one. The second book, Outcast Crown, actually has Boog as the narrator, and he takes on a, a different partner. And so that one is a totally different perspective because, you know, he's tough and sort of brash and uh, very confident. Um, and then the third one, I actually uh, went back uh, about 10 years and told the story of one of the more senior inspectors who's in the, the other two books uh, and did a whole kind of novella about her. And then this fourth one is about uh, one of the characters who's kind of a little bit of a foil to them. Garan uh, de Clay is a, a noble himself, but he works for the guild. He's like a third son of a noble family, so not going to inherit. And so he's gotten into the guild as his thing. Um, so doing it that way, it's a little bit more like, you know, Agatha Christie or, or somebody writing stories that have the same setting and characters, but it's a different mystery each time. And I'm shifting narrators each time, which I think helps me keep it a little bit fresh. So I really could keep doing these as long as I can keep up thinking up stories. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't sort of, I don't have a, a number in mind that I want to do, but I do enjoy doing them. So I'll probably keep going after this one. Okay. Well, so you got, uh, you got book four done. Um, yeah. Are you working on anything else? Yeah. So I also published a sci-fi novel last year and that was a lot of fun. Uh, that's uh, working its way through the SPSFC now, the competition for self-published sci-fi. Um, and I had a lot of fun with that. So I might, I want to do that story. <laughs> to me, at least I can't figure out how I would do a sequel because the story is all about a single conflict. And a lot of the fun of it is the characters meeting each other. Um, but I could do a sequel to that one. I could uh, do some more sci-fi. Um, last November, I wrote a first draft of actually a thriller set in the modern day that was a totally different thing for me and it's uh it's got a couple of sci-fi elements but it's mostly just sort of straight uh modern world and that was a lot of fun too i'm gonna i need to get that one edited and polished and see what i can do with it but i i had fun with that too writing in the modern world's a totally different uh setting than fantasy there's a lot of world building in place for you yeah, I, I actually found it in some ways, though, more challenging because everybody knows what the real world is like. And so, yeah, you, and they know how much stuff costs or where you have to go to buy things or, you know, how fast you can drive a car. <laughs> and if you start or, you know, what people are like, how the government works, if you start messing with those things or get them wrong, you know, if you're writing in a fantasy world that you made up, you have, you know, freedom to make it kind of however you want. But you're a little bit constrained by the 
the modern world and reality and, and all of that. I actually did almost as much research or maybe more research for that one than I've done for the fantasy ones to try to make it more realistic. Yeah, that's why I don't like writing sci-fi because I want to have to research all that science. <laughs> yeah. I still want to do a little bit of research for the sci-fi one. I have, I uh, was until recently a geology professor, so I asked one of my physics professor friends to help me come up with a reason that a star system would wink out of existence without just making it be totally cheesy. Uh, and so we worked on a thing with the black hole. And it's not a huge part of the story, but I wanted to get that so that you know the scientists wouldn't just throw the book against the wall and say this is too much. So yeah, and he read the rest of the book too. And I had a kind of a, a cloaking device that I needed some help with to make sure that would work in a way that was not technologically feasible now, but at least not complete. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, that was fun too. Doing that part of it is always fun for me coming up with what I hope are realistic ways for stuff to happen. So you got those two books are both going to be coming out eventually or? Yeah, the fourth um, Inquisitor's Guild one is called Boiling Lass. It should be out actually in a couple of weeks, assuming there's not a disaster with the editing process. And then the other one, I'm actually I'm thinking of maybe trying to query that one with agents. I tried like seven, eight years ago with the first draft of Flames Over Frosttown to get some agents interested. And that was that there was nothing going there. But this one being a thriller and maybe a little more sort of mainstream or commercial, I thought I might try that. So I don't know. I'd, I'd give it a few months. I've been really happy with the self-publishing process, so I'm totally okay doing it that way if right. that's where it goes. But um, but I thought I might see what the other method is like if I can get anybody interested. Sure, sure. And uh, where can our uh, listeners connect with you on social media? Um, so my website is davedobsonbooks.com. That's got all of my stuff and, and a blog and my newsletter links and, and all of that kind of thing. So that's the sort of headquarters. I'm also on Facebook. I have a Flames Over Frost Helm page on there that I publish pretty much all of my writing things. And then a Dave Dobson author page on Facebook. I'm on Twitter as GC Dave Dobson. I'm uh, getting more into Twitter now as I, uh, as I dive deeper into writing as my main thing. So, yeah, those are the main places. I don't do a lot of Instagram, but some of my stuff ends up over there. Uh, I'm Dave Dobson from Iowa there. And I think I'm a little too old to be doing TikTok at this point, but maybe I'll get onto that at some point. Awesome. Well, it was really great talking with you, Dave. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. You have yourself a great one. All right. Thanks a lot. You too. This has been Authors in Focus. You can find my fantasy novels on Amazon. Follow news of my writing at my blog, jmd-read.com, and follow me on Twitter at jmdread. You can also join my reader group on Facebook, Fantastical Worlds of the Imagination. You can find more episodes of the podcast at fantasy-focus.com or wherever your favorite podcast is hosted.